Welcome to episode 6 of Tools for Liberty. Um, today we are filming in Columbia, Tennessee in front of a bistro. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the disappearing of the third place in society. And this is something which is extremely relevant, not only to how our culture is shaping, but it's very relevant to how church growth has changed over the few years. So that's one of the things we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be discussing the term parish and what that means. And as far as our cultural issues, we're going to be talking about passwords there towards the end of things. So we are outside where you can hear the, the wonderful sounds of live civilization as we, we are here today. So let's go ahead and begin by getting into our terms. So just the single term we're going to discuss today is the idea of the parish. You may have heard this associated perhaps with a, a Catholic church, but it's something which is, is found throughout all church communities, which it pretty much is a word that means the church community. But it's really the people that, have, that are under the influence of the church. They're the people who the church has some sort of connection to that the, pe the church is responsible for that we're called to reach out to and, and deal with. So that really is who the parish is. So now let's go ahead and, and get into our topic. So as we're talking about the parish, we realize that the um, idea of a parish or how we see the parish is changing. And so very early on, uh, the parish was the idea of geography. And so it was a kind of, these were the boundaries of where the church's influences began and ended and where another church's influence began and ended. And as we see technology and other factors on the rise, the idea of a parish is less geographical and more on the idea of, on ideas and philosophies. Yeah, this is something which really has changed. And it's not just within the church, it's changed a lot in our society. If I look back at my own family history, there are times when my, my ancestors used to ride a tractor to church. There were the kids, they'd ride on sort of a box scrape to church, but they'd go to somewhere which was close by. And this is sort of the world where people said, if, if you build it, they'll come, and people would literally go somewhere that was close to them. However, there's always been a little bit of hint that people may go, they may go a little bit further, say if you're, you're going to go to a, a Wesleyan church, if you were one of the, the people interested in the holiness movement, you may go a little bit further to, to go to the Nazarene church. Uh, but for most people, they would just go wherever was closest. They would go somewhere close by. But now we live in a different world. People drive in. They're willing to go vast, vast uh, amount of miles to get to a place that they would enjoy being with. And there's some sort of idea that takes them there, whether it be it's the, the sort of theology that the church is having. Maybe it's the, the aesthetic things that are there. Maybe it be something sensory that takes people there. Maybe it's just family connections or, or friends. People are willing to go great lengths to, to get places now, which in the past this was not so much the case. People were limited in the geography that they, they lived. So let's just discuss what all this means and this idea of the, the vanishing third places. But to really get to that, uh, there's an article that, that Amanda's going to share with us. Um, so it was written a number of years ago uh, by Ryan Oldenburg, and he titled it Our Vanishing Third Places. It was written 20 years ago. Um, and it talked about that there are places in which uh, people interact with others. And so the first place is family, the second place is work, and then you have this third place, which is kind of the voluntary place that people go to, and they interact with others. And oftentimes there are others that are different than themselves, um, not just in maybe... Um, uh, ethnicity or things like that but also just ideas and so it's mm -hmm. this melting pot of people coming together in community that they have chosen to gather in community together yeah so this is something that really has changed in our culture and historically church growth has relied on people wanting to go to the to the third place in society you know the third place it wasn't your family it wasn't your blood relatives it wasn't the people you worked with it was people who were just in the same community as you and they came together maybe it would be people somewhere 50 years older than you maybe they were 50 years younger maybe it was somebody who was the same age but had an extraordinarily different personality and temperament 
But people came together who had a vastly different content of character. And it was these people who came together who really figured out how to value things in life which are good, things which are bad, and they all come together. And this is where people really develop their social skills because you had to learn to interact with the people around you. And what is so important to understand about this is that it wasn't just people coming together of similar demographics. A lot of times you'll say, well, people have always congregated around people who look similar to them. That may be very well true, but it was people had a very different personalities. People who actually behaved different were forced to interact with one another. It's something that's really banishing in our society. It's, a, it's something that, that is really um, it's disturbing if you, you look at it because it really affects how people develop uh, social skills and how we develop problem-solving skills and a whole number of things. And because of this lack of coming together and negotiating with one another and figuring out how to not only negotiate one person to another but how a people group negotiate the environment and the world around them, um, there has been a vanishing of the cohesive value in a society. So with these third places disappearing, with um, people no longer gathering to discuss and to negotiate, obviously we're lacking that ability to come to a, a similar or cohesive value system. And so we're seeing that throughout society and really um, just then people trying to develop those values outside of a cohesive or a group or a community. Yeah, so right now we're outside of a, a little place where you can come and get coffee. We're down in, in Columbia, Tennessee. We're really enjoying our time down here. But the thing with it is, is historically the church was always a third place. You know, if you go to Europe, pubs were a third place. Uh, stores in American civilization were like that. And what would happen is people would come to these places and they would negotiate out in life what was good. People, they all lived in a reasonably similar proximity and they would come together. And it was your ability, it was the only place in life you could really go out and you could socialize with people, you know. People would go, this is where you would go to, to meet people that you would, you would date and marry. It was where you would go to make your friends, to, to really learn skills. So you wanted to learn a new trade, you would hopefully find somebody within your community that could, could teach this to you. But now people are no longer doing this. Modern communication has allowed us to build communities in a different format. And what happens with this problem is people naturally take the path of least resistance. So when you can use modern communication to find people to interact with, you're very likely to find people who have a similar viewpoint to you. Instead of somebody who may look a lot like you, but they may be completely different in personality and taste and all sorts of things. And people no longer are forced to interact with people, learn those coping skills on how to deal with different ideas. So it's something which really has changed our dynamics because people really need to, to have that time where they're forced to learn to interact with others. And so it's something we've talked about a lot. Technology is growing and we don't want to um, demonize it because obviously we're using it and we think mm -hmm. it is a great tool. But with technology growing, there seems to be a, um, a culture is not walking or running in step with the growth of technology. And so we're trying to figure out how we navigate these things. So like we said, with the increase of technology, people are able to get some of those social interactions yeah. outside of those third places. The, uh, I guess, pathology, if I'm to use a word uh, we've used before, of this kind of the downfall or the con to this is that people can kind of cherry pick their social interactions now versus um, before where you would have to interact with that person 50 mm -hmm. years older or 50 years younger. We have to interact with that person that maybe have d different political or even religious views. Now you can kind of unfollow them on Facebook or you can uh, unfriend them. And then you can go through and you can like and keep all of the information that informs you as a person on your politics, on your philosophy. You can decide which articles you read. And if you don't like that article, you can simply um, put a thumbs down on it or just, you know, exit out of the browser. And, and you can only read those articles or listen to the people who 
kind of confirm your own bias and what you think. And so there, there is this lack of negotiating mm-hmm. and a lack of negotiating skills because I, I, as an individual, can decide what is truth and what isn't based on how I feel. And then I can find like-minded people to affirm me in those beliefs without really thinking critically about the ideas or about the people I'm interacting with. And because of this, it has produced the people who are unable um, to cope with different ideas. And so it now turns, instead of saying, okay, I can respect you, I have a different idea, I don't agree with you, or um, I don't agree with how you got to that idea, but we can respect one another. Now we can kind of just say, oh no, you've said that, let me delete you or exclude you from the conversation so that I can maintain kind of my peace of mind at the, at the risk of logic and understanding and seeking real information. Yeah, and this is something which really happens, and there's a, a car nearby whose power steering pump is whining quite loudly. I don't know if anybody can hear that. It's one of the awesome things about doing stuff out, you know, unedited and just out in the real world. But Amanda's exactly right. People can cherry-pick their social interactions, which means they're never challenged in their interactions, which, you know, that means if somebody else has a better understanding or better idea, you're not challenged to learn with that, and you're not challenged to figure out and, you know, see your own flaws and, and overcome them and become better people and, and develop critical thinking skills. Well... You know, historically, for a long time in, in civilization, the church was a place where people went to find this out, who they were. It's where they developed their value system. And I don't mean value just in, in ethics, but I mean valuing what is good in life. People came together. They gathered around one another. It was somewhere where you went to socialize. You went to find a spouse. And the church is historically a place like this. And it's been something which has been so fundamental to how the church has operated. But we have to start by understanding that in culture overall, the third places are disappearing, you know. We look at American culture. I can remember when I was a, a little kid, my granddad used to get up every morning early in the day, and he'd go and he'd sit at the store with some of the other, other men, and they, they'd enjoy taking time together. But now, as, as things have evolved, you don't see that so much anymore. You know, people can say, well, I'm not going to have to go to the store to interact with people. I can drive all the town, all the way into town to, to go to Starbucks and find some like-minded people who aren't going to challenge me. They're not going to tell me anything which will trigger me or offend me or anything like that. I can just go find people who I'm comfortable with, and we're not challenged to do anything. So, I love the, the storm that's coming. That one actually was a, a pretty loud one. I, I really like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, as far as the church is concerned, our church parish is sh- changing along with this. Because the parish is no longer just the people geographically around us. But, in fact, our parish is a parish of ideas. And people may drive a long way to come there. And it's just something that we have to realize. The shape of the parish is changing along with this. And so kind of to bring these two thoughts together of, of the parish that is changing and the third places that are disappearing, what then is the church's response? And how does the church? Um, as we have talked about parish, I'm often reminded of John Wesley's quote of the world is my parish. Mm-hmm. And so with, that, with the parish no longer being geographic, with the boundaries, the jurisdiction of the church no longer being geographically um, conditioned, but with the idea that the church's jurisdiction is that of ideas, mm-hmm. of influencing people regardless of geographical locations, how does the church then now work? How does the church build new churches? How does it do church plants? And so like you had mentioned before, the kind of the philosophy, if you will build it, they will come, is no longer true. And so the church then has to respond to, and that's what kind of this video series has been trying to address is, we understand that people who may be near Jolton, may be near Nashville, may not be, um, or wherever they may be, want something that is going to challenge them and give them good logical information and to give them these ideas. And so even though if you may not be in the geographical parish of Nashville or Dalton, we're hoping that this speaks into the ideas, the, the parish of the church. 
And so the jurisdiction of the church is <laughs> enacting appropriately, even on the roads. Yeah, um, and and right now we're we're next to the the courthouse here down in in Columbia. It's a an exciting place to be. You get to see all the culture, little things happen. But at the same time, we can look from where we're at now, and I know those who are, are watching through the camera can't see it, but there are actually people who are all from this county, all over from this county, who have drove in to deal with something. They get in their cars and leaves. Uh, you can see people of all walks of life coming together to the business that happens at a, a courthouse on a sort of regular day here. But the thing is, is people no longer have to involve themselves in the, the geographical community around them. So if you're part of the church and you're looking at the future and you say, well, how do we do church growth? Uh, many people have, have realized that in, in America and really just Western civilization, church growth is either stagnant, declining, or it's sporadic at best. There's really no consistent um, overall thing where you can look out there and say there's a, a theme of how church growth looks because the idea of the parish evolving within the third place is something which is, is no longer really a given. And I'm not saying that the church has always relied inherently on the third place structure for people to come. I think a lot of times people have relied on on the, the influence of the Holy Spirit and they've, they've looked to their doctrine to, to guide them. But at the same time, the logistical side of our church growth plan has been that the church is the third place where people are coming for a community. And what do you do when the, the world no longer values that sort of community? When they no longer, it's not just the churches, you know, Amanda was mentioning to me earlier, places that dine-in restaurants are seeing decline in numbers. They say millennials are, are kindling a lot of this stuff because people no longer see the need to go to the third place to figure out who they are as people. So the church must have a different logistical plan that simply says we're going to be a third place in society. We do want to be a third place in society, but we must not simply be passive in saying we're going to create a third place and people will just come. We have to be proactive in reaching out there and realizing that the ideas we share have to be marketed in such a way where people respond to them. We have to make our ideas well known, but this also means our ideas have to be well cultivated because people are looking for good ideas. Yes, and I think uh, to play off what you're saying, it can't just simply, lots of people in lots of different places and third places or, or other agencies and philosophies have lots of good ideas. And so the church can't just say, okay, we've got a good idea. But it is that this idea that we really feel that it can compete well with these other ideas because we find it to be um, well thought through and it speaks to all aspects of yeah. life. And that it, it's something that quite that the ideas of the church, the ideas of Christianity, its theology is a blessing and it, it is life-giving and ultimately wherever people find it, whether it is on uh, Facebook, social media, whether it's in those third places, outside of those third places, um, in spite of those, whatever the kind of parameters are that uh, God has given us this world as our parish to cultivate and to speak life into. And so we find that these are Often it will look differently as the world continues to change, as technology and other things continue to progress or regress or whichever way we think they're going, um, that we are still called to do the mission and uh, to speak blessing. Yeah, so just to wrap a bit of this, this main topic discussion up, we're going to actually put a link. And we'll let that, put that one pass. We're going to put a link in the, the comment section to Ray Oldenburg's article, The Vanishing Third Places. I really want you to read it. We're actually going to put a link to an excerpt from it, but it has a link to the real article from it. We are not going to, to hide the real article for you. Go out and find this. And, and Ray Oldenburg's not the only one to talk about this, though. In 1997, he put out this, this thing that says, you know, third places are vanishing. And then look what's happened in the, the 20 years afterwards. Third places are vanishing at an unbelievable rate in our society. 
So do some research on this. If you're part of the church, read some of these articles about the vanishing third place. You can just type that into to your search engine and it will bring you some really good articles on this. And we're going to put a, a link to the main one on there. Um, but this is really, just to, to wrap things up, the church must realize that we cannot rely on people proactively looking for third place structures to, to figure out who they are in life. People are now allowed to do that with modern communications in a totally different way. So we can't just, as Amanda said, can't just say if we build it, they'll come, because that's not true um, in the, the slightest anymore. We have to, to realize that we have to have good ideas, and it doesn't need to be just the most, the best marketed or most charismatic ideas. It needs to be quality ideas that are marketed, that are giving people the tools to overcome the voids in life, to, to have personal liberty, and to be people who can actualize as healthy individuals. Well, I guess we'll move into kind of our current topic or our cultural discussion. And uh, Dylan, you had read an article recently that talked about passwords, which I think is something that everyone nowadays uses and needs. Uh, so would you like to talk to us about that? Yeah, and we're going to put a link to this article as well in the comment section. Um, and this is an Engadget article, but there's a whole lot of articles that, that have come out about this. I didn't want to put a link to any article that's behind a paywall. but So we're going to put one to the Engadget article because I think it does a lot to cover the topic. But essentially, I think we've all dealt with passwords that are horrendous. You, you go to log into a, a new site. We created a new email this week, and it's like, you know, you've got to have a capital letter, have a number, have X amount of stuff in it. Um, it needs to be 18 to six, 8 to 16 characters long or something like that. You always have these really convoluted passwords come together. And I think it's, it's fair to say that we all hate them. <laughs> do you hate them, Amanda? I do, because then you have to remember all the convoluted passwords, and especially when they add strange things, and you have to pick three out of the four different categories, and you can't remember which ones you picked. Yes. So one of the things that they found out in the article we're going to put a link to is the, the, the man who suggested this all back in the, the early 2000s who said this is the, the best way to create secure passwords now comes out and says, I regret it all. I take it all back. It's not actually <laughs> making things more secure. And the reason why is a couple of things. One, even though it adds, the basic premise of this is that there would be more characters for someone, whether it be a software or a person trying to crack your password that they'd have to use, so it's harder for them. Well, he's come out and he said, no, this isn't necessarily the case, and we're not actually adding that many more characters because most people just capitalize the first letter in a word. They might mm -hmm. change O out with zero, or they might do something like had a dash one or a dash two at the end of it. And it's really predictable what people do because it's really hard to remember this sort of thing. <laughs> but um, so in the article, he says, this isn't actually making passwords more secure. And on top of that, he said, the idea that people then have to write passwords down, that hurts security. And it says that most sites want you to change your password every few uh, months or every few years or something like that. You always get these things updating tell you to change your password. He said, this also makes them less secure because people then try to pick even easier passwords because it's so hard to use. So... In response to all this, he had said, you know, the best passwords actually may not be something with crazy characters at all. And again, there's, there's been several articles about this. We'll put a link to one on there. Search it for yourself. Don't just take our word for it. Please go out and research everything. Uh, liberate yourself by being personally interested in, in pursuing information. But one of the things they said was actually like a long sentence could be a better password than something that's really complicated and hard to remember. Something as simple as, you know, my dog is a really good dog to pet and play with might be a better password with or without spaces than something that's, you know, really complex and hard to remember. Do you have any thoughts on the, the hatred for passwords, Amanda? Oh, no, I, I just, I do, I do think, I think it is interesting, and hopefully we can then make ourselves a little bit more secure practically instead of out of just kind of like, 
I don't know, because we have to or because we think it makes us secure, but it will uh, hopefully, with this piece of information, we can actually make a little bit more, our website's a little more secure and can go forward in that way. And I don't know why the camera just shut off, but we're going to go ahead and wrap things up. We will put a link to those articles in there. So I hope you all have a good day. Bye.